Welcome to the Yogi MD Podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Do you want to have a full and more vibrant life? Then don't neglect a single part of your health. Taking care of yourself responsibly means balancing your social, emotional, mental, physical, intellectual, and spiritual health. It's a multidimensional, more comprehensive, and more rewarding approach. I hope you've enjoyed and learned ways to improve your social, emotional, and mental health so far. But now it's time to nurture our physical health. All of my guests compel you to care for your body so that you don't just survive, but thrive. Former two-time Olympian, Bayano Kamani. Instead of asking someone for an extrinsic value on why you should do something, you should have a starting point with your first why. Start there, and along the way, you'll collect other reasons for doing it so that no matter what situation presents itself, you will still have a why for getting out of the door. Sleep physician and psychiatrist, Dr. Kara Uli. When things get so off with their sleep, that actually restricts their freedom. And a lot of the teens that I'm meeting with, they're so exhausted that they're just locked into that and they don't have freedom and they can't explore because they're so tired and it erodes their relationships. Treatment for teens and is very different from adults. It's about allowing them to have good enough sleep such that they can function and then they can do what they are supposed to do as teens, which is to figure out what they want. Healthy aging expert and nutritionist, Annie Goudreau. My value is that I want to age with strength and be able to have the most quality of life for the longest amount of time. That's my driver. You have to have an intimate relationship with yourself first and foremost. Never mind your husband or your wife or partner or whatever. It starts here. And founder of Yoga for Arthritis, Dr. Stephanie Munaz. Pain deteriorates gray matter in the brain. Meditation builds gray matter in the brain. And so you can think of, and especially because it's in similar regions, you could say that Meditation is an antidote for the effects of chronic pain on the brain. If you are curious about becoming a physically healthy human being, you'll be happy you took the time to listen. Today's guest is sleep physician and psychiatrist, Dr. Kara Uwe. You will also hear from my nephew, Alex, and my daughter, Lizzie, as they share challenges they've had with their sleep. I'm not great when it comes to the morning. Right when I'm starting to settle, when my brain just starts to think, do this, do that, do this. So sometimes it gets a little annoying. And I, sometimes I find myself not going to sleep and then going to sleep like really late. Since I was younger, I don't sleep very like um, continuously or whatever. But I don't know. I think that I like sleeping, but it doesn't come super easy. Why is it important for parents to empathize and connect with their sleep-deprived teens. Every single parent who comes in always wants what's best. 
I've, I've never had a parent not have good intention. And when parents are getting into that vicious cycle where they're they're yelling and they're getting frustrated, it's always coming from a place of wanting things to be better. It's just that I think oftentimes we have a hard time with with understanding kind of why the teen is struggling. You're so self-conscious about who you are and who you're becoming, and you're just very, very aware of how you compare to your peers and all of that. There's also that not good enough story that I think tends to play out for the parent. I know this happens for me when my I have a daughter who is, um, she's very anxious, kind of just a, a, a tendency towards anxiety. And if she is, for example, not uh, not saying hello to somebody, then then there's a whole narrative that goes on in my head about what am I doing wrong as a parent and she should be doing this. And then that often drives a response in me that's very unhelpful. And if I can notice that and step back and think of overall what is going to be the more helpful thing for me to do as a parent, which is always, again, to have empathy and to be able to connect and stay on her side, that's always going to be a much more helpful way through that situation. And that's why I always think that refocusing on to connection is always the best place to go. And teens are are oftentimes, once you can tap into what they care about, they're the most energetic, passionate people. If I want to connect with and show my teen more empathy, what do I need to know about their particular challenges? Part of being a teen is is about becoming more independent and also figuring out what you like and who you want to be and who you want to be around. And so it's a really it's a it's a phase where you're supposed to be exploring and that's why I think a lot of teens are often butting up against things that are regimented, right? That's really unappealing to teens. Um, and so that's why where I think oftentimes when people are trying to get their sleep on track, it's really hard because to to be on a more regimented schedule, which often you need to be on in order to get sleep on track, it conflicts with that identity that teens have of wanting to be free and not wanting to be regimented. And so when I'm trying to help teens with their sleep, my intention is not to have them be on a completely regimented schedule. I don't think that that's sustainable for most teens, and that's not what they really want. Sometimes they need to do that for a little bit in order to just dig themselves out of that really deep hole that they've gotten into. But then once they're out of that hole, then it's about finding a middle ground that's going to work for them and that's still going to be able to give them freedom. The teens that I'm typically seeing, though, even though what's driving in the moment, for example, them wanting to stay online, which is that need for freedom and that need to be connected to others... When things get so off with their sleep, that actually restricts their freedom. You know, a lot of the teens that I'm meeting with, they're so exhausted that they're just locked into that and they don't have freedom and they can't explore because they're so tired and it erodes their relationships. But that's what I hope to address with helping teens with their sleep. It's not about getting them onto a perfect schedule. Treatment for teens is very different from adults. For adults, you might be going for a schedule where they're sleeping between 11 and 7 the goal is not that. The goal is that they're not so trapped in exhaustion and this vicious cycle of not being able to sleep. It's about allowing them to have good enough sleep such that they can function and then they can do what they are supposed to do as teens, which is to figure out what they want. Why do you think it's so difficult for our teens to manage their sleep? What are the main problems you see? 
Sure. So I think from the get-go, one of the issues that a lot of people know about is that teens tend to run on a later clock. So there's this natural shift as they go through or where they go from being a kid to being a teen, where there's just a natural delay in their clock. So maybe as a kid, they wanted to go to sleep at, say, nine o'clock. After they become teens, it's more like 11 or even 12. And so that immediately sets a lot of teens up for issues. And then, of course, some teens are more night owls than others. Maybe your daughter is more has more of a tendency towards that. Um, but that, of course, then conflicts with when they have to wake up for school. And then, of course, there's everything else that we know disrupts sleep um, that tends to be particularly problematic in the teen years. So, of course, we know that screens have a really big impact on when people can get sleepy and can get to sleep and also on the quality of sleep that they have at nighttime. The teen years also, there's just so much going on. So there's a a huge increase in uh, mental health difficulties at that time substance use, there's a lot more responsibility, a lot more schoolwork. And so oftentimes I'm seeing teens who have to stay up late in order to get their work done. Things like napping or sleeping in, really, really common in teens. But unfortunately, those are things that then just make the problem worse. So teens tend to get into these really vicious cycles with sleep. And it's so common just because of the way that life is set up right now for most teens. So before we dive into a little bit more of that, let's talk about why bother? What is so great? What is so important about getting enough sleep? Yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of answers to that question. I think if we just start with the more obvious ones, I mean, if you think about a time when you haven't been sleeping well, I know if I think, for example, back to when I had my first child and I was very, very sleep deprived, it really impacts how you can just function, your mood, how well you're able to respond to stress, how well you're able to interact with people, how well you're able to learn, how well you're able to change or try to implement new habits, for example. And well, we also know that sleep has a huge impact on risk for um, other mental health difficulties. So it increases your risk for depression and for uh, mania. Uh, anxiety, and it does also increase the risk for things like substance use. So so sleep really impacts all aspects of life. Um, and we're kind of very aware of some of the direct impacts, but then there are a lot of these other ways that we just don't always think about. In teens, I find that it can have a, a really huge impact on derailing teens from their trajectory. What I often see in teens is that the sleep starts getting really dysregulated, and then they can't attend school. And then they get stressed about that and they're having to catch up on that. They've lost the opportunity for learning certain skills or um, learning certain habits. And it really can have this very, very negative downward spiral. And then the other side of that is that sleep is something that if you address it, you can see change fairly quickly. So um, as opposed to, for example, uh, as you know, I'm a psychiatrist, it's more common to see improvements in mood and anxiety over the course of months. Whereas if you implement the right strategies for sleep and, and you, have the, you have the motivation to do that and the ability to do that, you can see change within weeks, sometimes as early as a week or two. Thank you for sharing all of those things. So, so very important. I completely agree. What I find stunning is how much disrespect, and I am going to use that strong word, we have as a society for sleep because... While you see sometimes in, 
our social landscape, whether it's news or reading or even social media, people touting the benefits of sleep and saying, this is one of the pillars of health. On the other hand, there's this cultural idea that everybody should get up early and everybody should stay up late and be accountable, especially now that we have so much technology where people are more accessible at all hours of the night. What do you think about that? Why such a disconnect, even though we know that sleep is beneficial, there's still sort of this pushback and this, again, taking a pride in, I don't need sleep. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it has to do with the the people I'm coming into contact with or what I listen to, but I, I feel as if there's actually been a shift in, in terms of people valuing sleep more. I think a lot of um, high performers will often talk about how sleep is the critical thing for them in terms of being able to optimally perform in athletics or if, you know, whatever other, um, other ventures they have. And so I actually think that there's now been this shift where people want more sleep. It's just so hard to get it. Mm. Um, there's so many powerful factors that are working against people to sleep. And it's funny because I, I mean, this is what I do and I feel so passionate about sleep, but there are absolutely nights when I feel driven to get something accomplished, or I just want a bit more freedom um, to enjoy my day because I've been busy all day and I haven't had control over my day. And so there are these really powerful factors that I can absolutely understand why people will forgo sleep (laughs) and instead want to continue doing whatever it is that they're doing. Um, And then, of course, it it doesn't help that uh, the internet is just so difficult to turn away from. And the internet, and then of course the I think especially now during the pandemic, because that's how we stay connected to people. So being online is really it's really, really hard to stay away from. And then that, that of course is such a huge um issue when it comes to sleeping well. Hmm. Okay. So let's shift back over into the subject at hand, helping our teens. So how do you tend to counsel teens who have so many uh, roadblocks to getting proper sleep and uh, are kind of set up for failure at that time of their lives, as you outlined earlier? So I think it, it depends on where the teen is at in terms of wanting to change and how much they perceive their sleep as a problem and how much, as you mentioned, they value getting more sleep. Because what I have learned in my experience is that oftentimes teens, you know, as you said, they don't want to change their sleep. There are such powerful reasons for why they want to continue with their current habits. And they're really important reasons. They want to stay connected to their friends. They don't want to feel left out. Um, they may need, for example, the, the stress relief of, for example, being online. You know, oftentimes I have a lot of teens that I meet with who are watching Netflix late into the night because otherwise they get hit by a lot of um, really, really uncomfortable thoughts and anxiety. And so they've learned that Netflix, for example, helps manage that. Sometimes I'm really like reading a book and I'm really excited about the book. So then I don't want to sleep. I could go like three something, playing video games. But the weird thing, and I really realized it, how 
insane that was in in quarantine. I realized how I was going outside playing basketball, maybe even having practices, doing homework, and I would play video games to who knows what and wake up early and go to go to school and feel completely fine. I don't know how I did it. Yeah, I think about high school and like waking up at six and like sometimes, I mean, even if I went to sleep at like 12 or one or something, that's still like, that's not enough hours for me. But then like it was normal, like I was always tired, but I didn't, it was like nobody noticed how tired they were really. So oftentimes if I meet with somebody who's really just not in the place to hear more or to want to change their sleep, I don't really say much. I will often tease at the fact that there are some ways in which we might be able to help them sleep better. But I've learned that giving too much information at that time just tends to be really counterproductive. And I think that probably is is helpful for parents as well, because oftentimes the parent wants the teen to be sleeping better. And what can often happen is that the, the parent really pushes. And of course, people don't like being told what to do, but teens especially don't like being told what to do. And so then the teen will just dig in their heels even further. So I think that's the first step is just assessing readiness. And then oftentimes I will see teens who are more, they know they want to sleep better, but they're conflicted for all the reasons that I talked about. And so in those situations, I then tend to just try to hit some of the low-hanging fruit. So actually a lot of the podcast episodes from Find the Eight are organized around that idea that these are little tidbits that hopefully are going to help and maybe just give a little bit of information, but it's not the full-out approach. So it's really common for teens to try to sleep way before their body even has the potential for sleep. When this is happening, people get very, very set up for other problems because they get into bed at, say, 11 p.m., but their body doesn't want to sleep until 12 or 1. And so what happens is that then they lie there and they're really alert and they start to get frustrated and they start to get anxious. Mm -hmm. And then their mind starts going about how they can't sleep and how this is going to be really problematic the next day. And then oftentimes it's not uncommon to eventually just get so fed up that they take out their phones. And then, of course, that makes it even worse. It depends because sometimes I'm like worrying about things. I have to like, oh, let me watch something funny and then that'll help me, you know, get my mind off things. Because sometimes if I'm having worries and I try to just listen to music, then I'm still thinking about it, you know, because but something about like listening to like if I it's weird, I like put a show on that I've already seen before and like put my iPad under and I'm just listening to it or whatever or a video I've seen before that's funny or something sometimes that like relaxes me enough to fall asleep. Or yeah, I'll listen to some music or I'll do my meditations at night, but sometimes it just I'm not getting comfortable. I'm like tossing and turning, like I'm not comfortable like this. I'm not comfortable like this. And it just takes a while, which is annoying. So sometimes I just give up and I just watch something (laughs) until I fall asleep because I'm like, oh, well, because I like to do things at night. I'm better at night. In the afternoon, I don't want to do anything, but then I'm better like evening and nighttime. Like I had a paper to do for one of my classes. And during the day, like when I was working on, it took me so many hours and, you know, I I finished. But then the other one, I literally thought about what I wanted to write for it and at like around 11 o'clock and then was able to do it really well. So it was like better at that time. And so sometimes just addressing that first trap of going to bed too early is all I'll talk about. 
I'll also kind of talk about the low-hanging fruit that I think is going to have the most uh, bang for their buck and is not too difficult to implement in that it doesn't require them necessarily to change their habits or continue to invest their willpower and their energy. So, for example, another really uh, common place that I'll start is getting them to set up a really comfy spot in their room so that they are not spending so much time awake in their beds. The reason for this is that a lot of teens spend a lot of time awake in their beds. It's kind of the only place that they have to be mm-hmm. comfortable, to be to have some privacy. Mm-hmm. But what ends up happening is that when you spend so much time awake in your bed, you start to associate being in bed with that state of alertness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is a really powerful, really, really common thing that drives sleep issues. Most people don't know about it. But when you can start reducing that time awake in bed, oftentimes sleep tends to come more easily. You tend to have... Uh, a better quality of sleep as well. And in fact, when I am meeting with teens after their sleep is better, they often credit that as being the biggest thing that made a difference for them. So those are the types of things that I'll start with. And then if people are more committed, I meet with some teens who are really wanting to change their sleep and they know it's a problem. There are a lot of costs and they are ready to really go all in. Then I will use more of an approach that's similar to what would be done in a course of cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. But that's a much more structured, coordinated approach. We monitor sleep, things like that. So do you ever talk to your teens about what they're digesting on the internet and how that might be affecting their sleep and increasing their anxiety because they're thinking about a lot more than say my generation had to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, there is so much. Uh, I, I also, so when I was a teen, a lot of the stuff was just emerging, but it wasn't at all to the degree that things are mm-hmm. now. And I agree with you. Um, there's so much constantly bombarding them and it it's at a, stage of life where you're figuring a lot of stuff out. There's so much change happening at once. So I do talk a little bit about social media and about what people are consuming. I don't dig into it a, a lot. And actually, that's it's a great question. I'm actually not sure why I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I think maybe it's that I'm a bit more focused on trying to build other routines or habits. Mm-hmm. I do ask what they consume. And I, I always find it so interesting uh, just to hear about it. I always feel like they're giving me a, an education. Um, yes. Because I'm not, I'm not a social media person, partially because I know my own personality. And I think I, I would get very sucked into it. So I really limit how much I'm on social media. Of course, throughout all of this and figuring out how to really engage teens, I uh, have recently gotten onto Instagram and I'm going to start dabbling on TikTok, which is very uncomfortable for me. But I, I think it's necessary just in terms of where where teens hang out. So Yeah, understanding your audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The scope of subject matter that they have to deal with. Yeah. And I think we have to remember that there's a lot of wonderful stuff that comes out of it too. I mean, with me diving a bit more into how how I can use Instagram to reach the audience that I want to reach. I also had um, some teens and uh, as I just or I mentioned earlier, I have a, a 22-year-old who's helping me uh, learn a lot of this stuff. 
I, I really did get an education and I've, and it's funny because I was laughing about the fact that I've called my, my podcast as bite-sized tips, but 10 minutes is not bite-sized in the teen <laughs> world. Um, what's bite-sized is the stuff that they're consuming on TikTok, which is 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. And so that has been really interesting to me because I thought these 10 minute episodes were really short and sweet, but they're not. They're kind of the next step once you're a bit more ready to get more. They give you more information and they go more in depth, but they're not where a lot of people are going to start. Hmm. Good point. Good point. Okay. So family dynamics. How do we navigate family dynamics when everyone is sort of on a different body clock and when Mm -hmm. societal expectations kind of want to silo everyone to be on the same body clock. Yeah, it's it's tricky. So what often or what can often happen with sleep, as I mentioned, the clock tends to run later, but electronics and all the light that we have in the evening tends to push the clock even later. So mm-hmm. it's not uncommon for a lot of teens to be on a schedule where their body actually wants to be sleeping between, let's say, 2 a.m. and 11 a.m. That's even kind of early for some teens, right? It's not uncommon for me to see, especially during the pandemic when there wasn't school, a lot of teens just completely flipped onto a schedule where they were up at nighttime and then they slept during the day, say between 6 a.m. and 4 p.m. or something like that. So it's very tricky. It's really, really difficult for parents to be able to stay connected to their teens, but also be able to help their teens if they want support from their parents when they're on such opposite schedules. Mm -hmm. So I think it always comes back to finding ways to stay connected because you can't have influence until you have that connection. So oftentimes when I see families where things have really, the relationship has really broken down Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of conflict, I'll actually suggest to the parent that they just not address the sleep at all and instead invest their energy in trying to find little ways of connecting. Because once you have that connection, it's so much easier to to help around sleep as well as, of course, around other things. What advice do you have for families that are struggling because the parents have a very regimented sleep schedule that they stick to regardless, but the teen is struggling with regular bedtime? So, I mean, there's a few different factors that you have to consider. So if you have a parent who tends to be on a very regular schedule and tends to like to be very regimented, there is an upside to that if the teen is going to subscribe to that to a certain degree, right? If there is that level of connection that you have that influence or you can help your teen wake up at a consistent time every day, that's great because that means that they're less likely to fall into that trap of the clock running later and later. However, if the teen is still staying up and on electronics and and then also doesn't want to wake up, then that's going to cause all sorts of problems. It's going to cause massive sleep deprivation because they may not be falling asleep until two or three. And then if they have to wake up at five or six or seven, then they're going to become really, really sleep deprived. And then also if the teen doesn't want to wake up at that time, but they're being forced to wake up, that's going to really erode the relationship. And then I think I would probably get them to refocus on how they can have the most influence, which I always think is by connection. So that's when I think it would we would have to gauge 
the current status of the relationship and how much influence the parent has right now. If there was very little influence, then I would suggest that the parent really focus on ways of spending time with their teen in a way that the teen is going to want or be looking forward to it. So oftentimes that comes along with a bit of a treat or reward, like pre-pandemic times going out for a fun meal or just finding these opportunities to connect. That's going to get you a lot further than just continuing to push on certain rules around sleep. Rules can be good if the teen is willing to subscribe to them. So waking up at the same time every day, if the teen's willing to do it and they can do it, then that actually is good because then the teen tends to be less likely to fall into that trap of sleeping in. And then that tends to delay the clock further. And then that sets them up for more issues with sleep. But if they're not going to subscribe to that, then it doesn't make sense to keep on pushing. Yeah. And then falling into eroding the relationship even further. And then what the parent may not be realizing at that point is a sleep deprived teen who can't really regulate their mood, it's really setting the relationship up for further failure and devolving it into more of a conflict style and authoritarian style and more unpleasant yeah, for everyone and, involved. And absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting as we're talking about this, I'm very aware I don't have teens. I've got younger kids. And so this is my observation in working with teens and families. But I would love to hear your thoughts on this in terms of how to best stay connected to teens in these types of situations where, as a parent, you're really seeing the cost of poor sleep or of the insomnia but the teen is just not interested. I would love to hear your thoughts on that and kind of what would be most helpful. My teens were very different. My eldest didn't have sleep issues. So I never really noticed any, and she never really talked about having any concerns around her sleep, whereas my youngest did. I tried to stay very flexible with her. First of all, so it takes a step back. It takes this step back to say everyone is different, to realize that as a parent. And then when I notice that one of my kids is getting into trouble with something, then, okay, how do I help that kid with that thing? And so with my youngest daughter, it was issues with sleep that I, I didn't know enough about at the time. However, what I did know was that if we're on vacation, for example, I'm not going to drag her out of bed. Why? Why should I make her get up at eight o'clock? Why should I make her get up at seven o'clock? She's been working so hard to get up at seven every day for school. And then let's add athletics to that. So on the weekends during school, having to get up at five, six a.m., to get on a bus to go travel to another school for a fencing match or for a cross-country tournament, running or fencing all day and coming back home late. And there's only Sunday to catch up with some rest. So I felt like whenever I could allow her the opportunity to rejuvenate and refresh and just kind of be left alone and to relax, then... I'd give that to her. Yeah. And so I think what you just described is so, so common. So I think that's a great approach to 
view every every child is different, every teen as being different. And unfortunately, the teens who tend to be more of the night owls, there's more of that natural mismatch between mm-hmm. what they need to be doing. So it's, you know, it's not a problem that they're night owls, except for it's a problem because they have to wake up for school and because they have athletics that they have to wake up for. And so for those teens, it's a lot harder. Um, and so this this idea of trying to catch up on sleep when they can, allowing them to sleep later when they can, it makes a lot of sense. It's just that there's a downside to that. And so the downside being that this is actually very common on weekends for teens to sleep in later because they're so sleep deprived during the week. So they they catch up on the weekends and they feel a bit better. They get a bit more sleep. So that is definitely an upside and that makes a lot of sense. The downside becomes when that is a pattern and the sleeping on the weekends causes the clock to shift Mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. Another very similar example is napping. So again, not getting much sleep at nighttime. So it makes sense to take a nap to catch up. Maybe the teen can't concentrate on their homework unless they have a bit of a nap in the afternoon. But then that's another one of those really vicious cycles where then if they nap, they're not sleepy at nighttime and then they can't get to bed until later. And so things can really snowball. So I try to really not be dogmatic about it. I think it's very understandable that people try to catch up on sleep, but most people don't know about the downside. So that's where I just try to provide education to both the teen as well as to their families about making these choices. And it's, it's often very difficult to achieve perfect sleep in the teen years, unless you happen to be one of those teens, maybe like your first daughter, who just naturally for them, it's easier for them to wake up earlier. Maybe it's easier for them to be on a more regimented schedule. Then you might be able to expect more um, closer to perfection um, or maybe what we tend to do or what we tend to go for as adults. But again, if you have more of that susceptibility to being a night owl, then oftentimes it's about finding that middle ground where the downsides aren't completely over outweighing the, the very understandable upsides. Okay. My nephew, as I mentioned to you earlier, is also quite the night owl. And my sister has been really trying to help him finding solutions to helping him waking up for school in the morning. So what are some of the typical approaches that you recommend? Uh, The one that the latest one that she's tried is those alarm clocks that where the light starts to increase very slowly to encourage that melatonin recess and starting to help the waking up happen more naturally. I didn't even be getting woken up by that thing. I'm not sure if the light's working properly, but I don't care. I hated that for a long time. (laughs) It finally stopped lighting up. And I don't want to fix it. I'm fine with the window. I hate that dang thing. What wakes you up then when you have to get up and you don't want to? (laughs) My dad. (laughs) When I know like there's certain days I get up at certain times, I have maybe like five different alarms, maybe like five minutes or 10 minutes apart. There was one time I had to get up to go home for... Christmas break or something from school and the bus leaves at like 6.15, but you have to get on there by six. And so I had alarms starting at like 4.45. I had like, I think 10 or more alarms and I didn't wake up till 5.45. I had to be on the bus by six and I was freaking out. I was like, oh my God. 
And then it's like a five minute walk to get there. So I was running and I couldn't believe I slept through. I don't know how I turned them all off. So the most powerful way of waking up is always going to be if a person wants to wake up. (laughs) If there's something that they want to jump out of bed for, right? That is the most powerful way of getting somebody out of bed. And I assume that for your nephew, uh, as just because this is the case for everybody, that there have been times when he's gotten out of bed, no problem, because there's something he's looking forward to, right? Or maybe it's that um, there's a test, right? That's going to get you out of bed too, so or is more likely to get you out of bed too. So that I think is the big thing. But then there's all the other little hacks and strategies. So there, there's an episode that I did on that. I think it's episode three about how to wake up more easily because we have to remember that waking up for teens is so much harder than it mm-hmm. is for most adults. Some it's hard to wake up for adults as well. <laughs> but for teens, they're often being woken up bef- well before their clock thinks it's time to wake up. And they're also sleep deprived chronically surprised typically. Mm. And so that grogginess, that what we call sleep inertia after they wake up tends to just be so much worse. And so even if you have intention of waking up in the moment, it just feels so awful that you don't want to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. So in that episode, I talk a bit about the initial strategies to just make sure you actually get out of bed. Um, So things like having an alarm clock set far away from you so you can't just hit snooze repeatedly (laughs) and having a really a clear plan on what you're going to do right after you wake up can really help just so that you're not having to decide in the moment because otherwise you're just going to likely go back to your bed, right? And then there's also finding ways of helping to alert the body. So light wake-up alarms are something that I do often recommend because the things that tend to alert our bodies are light and movement and, and then also doing things that are engaging, right? So things that we're into, those are all things that we know tend to really wake us up. So you know, oftentimes um, I'll recommend making sure you're getting a good dose of light in the morning, opening the blinds, don't stay in kind of a dark, dim room, which is often the case for a lot of teens who have rooms in the basement. That's really yes. I often hear that. And even sometimes I'll say to teens, like, turn up the brightness of your screen right after you wake up if you're mm. going to be on your phone. That can help as well with alerting you. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I'll recommend to people is chugging a big glass of ice water because that also helps you know, shock your senses and alert you. People are not going to do those things unless they want to wake up, right? So if there are reasons to not wake up, you have to also think about what might be, what people might be avoiding, right? Mm. If you're not wanting to go, for example, if there's something that's stressing you out at school, then waking up is really unappealing. So I think that's the other thing that needs to be taken into account. What would make somebody want to jump out of bed, but also what, what does waking up mean? Does it mean having to face a really uncomfortable situation at school? Or another common one is if you're not getting along well with your parents, having to deal with that. Hmm. I think there's kind of the deeper stuff that's underneath it. And then there's, of course, all the other little hacks and strategies that you can use that that tend to work better if you're wanting to wake up and you're just having a hard time because you're so tired and sleepy and groggy. Mm, Thank you for bringing that up because then it could be a vicious cycle, right? Where I don't think anyone has the intention that they want to have very fraught family dynamics. But if you start the day with this contention already where they're forcing me to get out of bed and, you know, the parent is angry because they're coming in there to to wake you up, then it just kind of makes the situation worse. 100%. I don't think it's always 
conscious that people are thinking Mm -hmm. about that. I don't want to wake up because that means I'm going to have to go face school. Sometimes it's really, it is kind of a very clear reason that people can identify to me. But I do often think there is this this negative reinforcement to waking up. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, if, they, if if it means that waking up is just going to be this kind of horrible morning where, you know, people are fighting and you feel off, and then of course it makes sense that you're not going to want to wake up in the moment. Yeah, and it's like that tip you gave in the beginning with the bed, something that I also learned listening to your podcast, and I didn't necessarily make this association. So the bed might even become this negative if it's a place where it's a struggle to fall asleep, then that association starts to be made. So even setting up a, a comfy bean bag in the corner to get relaxed away from the bed so you don't associate the bed with difficulty. It's kind mm-hmm. of the same, uh, an angry parent or a frustrated parent waking up a teen who's groggy, who doesn't want to get up, it becomes another negative association or can become mm-hmm. a negative association which is not mm-hmm. helpful for anybody. Yeah. And if you think about the, the habit loop, right, kind of the cue mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. trigger, then this is a very similar to the trigger, the actual behavior, and then the reward. This is the the reward. There's so much consequences, negative consequences to, to waking up that then sleeping in becomes reinforced. And I think the even more extreme version, which is actually quite common, is when sleep starts to disrupt being able to attend school so whether it's just being late a lot or mm-hmm. getting to school and not being able to focus. So it's very, very common, especially if your clock is running later, to wake up. But then you still, you're kind of like a zombie until 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. or And so you're not really retaining anything. You're spending all your energy <laughs> during class just trying to stay awake. And so it's not really, even though you're there, you're not really there. And so then what ends up happening is that you fall behind and then that causes a lot of stress. And so a lot of people then get into this vicious cycle where then they avoid school more because they know that going to school is going to be so stressful because they're behind. Hmm. My goodness. Are there any other areas of life that we may not necessarily think about that may be impacted by how much sleep we get or don't get? So I think a big one in the teen years is how the the sleep difficulties and the exhaustion and also then all of the the other trickle-down effects of poor sleep impacts identity. It's mm. really common for people who feel exhausted all the time and are they start to miss school, for example, they just they don't start to view themselves as very effective people. When you're forming your identity, it really does have a big impact on your belief that you're effective, that you can change, that you can learn things. It's common, I think, for people who are night owls to be perceived as lazy and to start, start to perceive themselves as being lazy. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes, even though it's it's related to the fact that they are exhausted, it's not who they are. But when it's so chronic, it becomes who they start to believe they are. And so I think that for me, is is a really, really big one that we don't think about. There's also, of course, the opportunity to learn good habits, to learn skills. And that is one of those things that can then have such a huge impact on then your opportunities and your overall trajectory. Thank you for sharing that. What would be your top three takeaways for getting better sleep? Okay, so I actually have a one pager, which is called the five quick start tips. And so these are actually on there. 
But my three tips for pretty much everybody would include trying to alter your light situation so you're getting the right light cues at the right time because our modern world with our artificial lights and our screens, this is a huge reason why people are set up for sleep issues and for a a delay in the clock. So there are lots of fairly simple ways that you can reduce light that you're getting in the few hours before sleep and overnight. And then also on the flip side, you're wanting to get a lot of that light during the day. And our lives are just not set up for that, especially during the pandemic. The second tip would be the one that I'd mentioned earlier about setting up another spot and just reducing that time awake in bed because Mm -hmm. that's such a powerful one and it's such a common one. The third one would be that idea of not showing up too early for sleep because that's such a common problem, especially for teens, but also for adults. And as I mentioned before, when you're showing up for sleep too early, it's just, it's not possible to sleep, but also it then just sets you up for this very, this downward spiral, this kind of um, snowballing effect where when you're lying there and you're trying to sleep, you think you should be able to sleep, then you start to get tense and anxious and you start to attribute false meaning to the fact that you can't sleep, right? When simply it was just a matter of timing. I listen to music specifically college students and below listen to it a lot it's called lo-fi it's just like long lasting tracks and that was me go to sleep sometimes that's too distracting listening to like that kind of music so sometimes i listen to delta wave sleep stuff but if it was just completely quiet i'll be like mm. it just there's something about sleeping quiet that was never comfortable with me I've learned a lot. And I really thank you for your time and your expertise, because I I believe this is a very important topic and something that every family deals with at at some point. So thank you. Thank you so very much. I would highly recommend people go and listen to the podcast, Find the Eight. Kara, what is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? Yeah, I love this question. I've heard you ask it on other episodes. So for me, it's all about finding what matters, so finding what's personally meaningful, and then having the ability to move towards that. So whether that's the physical health, the mental health, the skills, the belief that you can change, I think being able to kind of no matter the situation, having the ability to turn towards what matters to you. Hmm. Thank you so much for that. You are an incredible doctor. I heard so much empathy throughout our conversation. I never felt judgment. I always felt from you this desire to see each person as an individual and not to be putting band-aids on issues. It's more about what is the root cause. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And now it's time for the Mindful Minute. What's a fun activity you can try this week to connect with your teen? How might you try practicing empathy with your teen? And if you want some tips to help your teen get better sleep, don't forget to check out Kara's podcast, Find the Eight. Dear Wise Women, thank you for growing our community. Keep using your wisdom and emotional intelligence to share this episode with someone in your social circle who will benefit from hearing it. Your grandma and your mom need yoga. Maybe you need yoga too. 
I teach yoga to wise women. I believe in empowering and educating wise women to thrive on their terms at every stage of life. Let's hear what a wise woman has to say. I'm a worrier. It's a little much, I think. And yoga always calmed me down. You know, it gave me a, a positive focus. This, everything's gonna be okay. Uh, it's just really been like a centerpiece in my life. And I didn't have that until virtual yoga. To learn more, connect with me at yogimd.net. And finally, podcast theme music is by my niece, Maya Bishop, on vocals. My daughter, Lizzie Kelly, on guitar and bass. Yours truly, on percussion. And produced by Tim Buell. Thanks for being here. See you next time.